1: SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome to a new episode of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast on underdogdynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Uh, Getting into the last uh, critical weeks of the season here for Conference USA as we get closer to the CUSA championship game. Uh, Several results this weekend that influence who is going to be playing in that game from both the East and the West? And uh, this weekend we have an even bigger one with that critical UTSA UAB matchup. But that's not the first thing we're going to talk about today. For all of the CUSA folks that uh, you know follow us on Twitter and just kind of follow the conference's uh, you know ever evolving <laughs> future on Twitter, the last couple of days, obviously you saw that. Um, a as our own Eric Henry, who's with me as always, reported a, a while ago. Uh, head coach Butch Davis is not going to be rejoining the program next year. Uh, His contract expires in December and there's no uh, extension there. Uh, However, (laughs) uh, it was posted on Action Network by Brett McMurphy today, uh, sort of his interview with uh, Coach Davis. And uh, Eric, we're going to go through uh, some of the more notable tidbits from that um, as it uh, is, is clear a new era for FIU football is coming very quickly.
0: Yeah, yeah. First off, definitely been an eventful weekend at Conference USA Conference USA, excuse me, especially in the East, right? That uh that race is certainly gonna come down to the wire. In the West, we will certainly get into the scare that UTSA had. But as you mentioned, kind of the lead story on this Monday has been the situation coming out of FIU. And uh, first of all, I appreciate you giving me the the shout out there that uh for that, I believe on last Thursday that butch davis sources confirmed to me initially reported by NBC 6 in south florida that butch davis would not be returning i was able to confirm that that from NBC uh, independently and report that last thursday and butch davis and brett mcmurphy have a long-standing relationship that goes back into the 90s so butch davis as you mentioned in the action network and i'll let you go through the piece and kind of talk about what butch davis said line by line but that was confirmed today by, by well, confirmed by Brett, but certainly with Butch going in and saying that, you know, the, he will not be returning in 2022. So let's jump into it. Certainly, a lot to dive into, and it's something that certainly has been brewing for a while now at FIU.
1: Eric, I, I know we have our cameras off, but I made a literal cup of tea for this because I'm so excited to hear your perspective on the inner goings-on with this situation. Um, so let's, let's jump into it. First of all, um, You know, when you talk about Coach Davis coming to FIU initially, uh, he shared some insights about what that process was like with McMurphy, uh, including one, they're using old, old equipment, uh, jerseys and and shoulder pads, namely that get mentioned in the article, specifically that are uh, at least 10 years old, hand-me-downs from from other programs. Mississippi State is mentioned uh, by name in here in terms of where they got it. So, uh, you know, Eric. I guess kind of my first question here is, you know, is, have you been able to find out anything about you know the the budget from the football program and what it went to? If it wasn't, you know, some of this stuff that is pretty essential if you're running a football team, in my opinion, because you know, it, and to pile onto that, like also mentioned in here, the FIU administration made the decision that a assistant coaches could only be on one year contracts. And they couldn't go I believe it. they couldn't go outside the state to recruit uh, as a measure attempted attempting rather to save money on that budget. So I guess any anything you can shed light on in that regard.
0: Okay. so let's and, and, and I know you're kind of relaying some things as you're reading the story. So I kind of want to go line by line there. Right. So first off, this is Butch Davis's account of the situation right and i am not necessarily questioning butch davis's account i just think to be fair to fiu will give another present another side before diving into what you said right i did reach out to fiu who did not have comment initially then they said that this week would be about the seniors as this week is senior day for fiu and would reserve further comment till later so safe to say fiu may have a different a different point of view on that in terms of the jerseys i know for a fact i cannot say that they got new jerseys anytime newer than 2014 uh there is gonna be 20 2013 there was a deal with adidas you can look that up a quick google search miami herald david j neal the former fiu beat writer for the miami herald uh i believe the last time they had a full-time beat writer before they transitioned to walter via who's a, a freelancer they signed a deal with adidas in 2013 so, don't necessarily hold Butch Davis to the eight or nine or ten year deal. Uh, Coach Davis, when recalling uh, times, tends to speak in—I in, don't want to say hyperbole—but he, he he'll choose a number like nine or ten, right, or or whatever it may be. So, the exact number may not be correct as far as Butch Davis's is, is recollection, because as I said, you can look up David J. Neal's account and and see that Adidas they did sign a, a deal in 2013. So that is the last um new deal apparel deal of record i'm still waiting for further information uh that you know will either confirm or deny what Bushiva said about the the jerseys as to the pads again they didn't have a comment on on that right so you know you can take that for for what it's worth um before i kind of get into my opinion as to what Bushiva said in terms of your question to the the finances uh, I implore everyone to take a look at Sportico. I want to give the credit to sportico.com. They just came out with a intercollegiate finance uh, report, the business of sport, which is, which is what Sportico deals in, right? Uh, if you go to sportico.com and just Google uh, sport college sports finances, you can find over the past three seasons, the amount of money, um, whether that you do uh, athletic budget for each sport. So that's each sport that e- each Division One team fields you can find the athletic budget, and you can find the profit and not profit. So you know, budget, re- budget revenue, uh, uh, profit and all those things. You can find on Sportico. When you look at Conference USA in the year 2018, 2019, again, the 2021, excuse me 2020, 2021 year has not been reported yet, so that's why we'll go to 2018 and 20, uh, 2018, 2019 and 2019, 20. In terms of Conference USA, Joe. Profit deficit. You have Charlotte leading the way with 2.4 million. FIU comes in second with 1.64 million. And then UTSA is third at 1.3. When you go to 2019 2020, FAU, Florida Atlantic, comes in first with 2.7 in terms of profit. UTSA comes in second with 2.3 million. FIU comes in third with $1.9 million in terms of profit. If you take that back to a third year, FIU uh, is what was reported. Did not turn a profit. I believe the loss was something to the extent of fifty-seven thousand dollars. So, just want to get all those things in the way of specifics, so we're not dealing totally in speculation and just you know conjecture, right? With all that said, that was a mouthful. Now let's get back to the pads and the jerseys. Listen, without a, I, I have never suited up for FIU, which Davis would have more uh, inside information as to where they got those pads and jerseys than I would at this current juncture however i can say this joe fiu as an athletic department they try to speak carefully i just want to say things that i think without having presented the other side and not heard from them you want to be fair so i'm just going to give my specific um things that i've seen i don't know very many other division one programs no matter whether it's g5 or p5 where certain costs appear to be, you know, like cutting corners, right? Things like, and we had discussion about Bob Evans. I think the other day, right? In the effort of full disclosure, the reason I brought up Bob Evans was that was what FIU was eating post game, right? And I think we talked about that in the last podcast. I don't necessarily know that other Division One programs are doing things like that, um, and that's not to slander FIU if that's what their budget calls for, and that's what their budget calls for, and that's a conversation that President Mark Rosenberg will have to have with his new athletic department. But it's fair to say in my four years covering the team that there have been certain things that you look at the program and you say, could more money be invested? And that was the reason why I felt it was fair to read off the Sportico profit, you know, the the revenue uh, results, because, Joe, you know this as someone who has worked in the business of sports for a while and has been in athletic departments. Athletic departments as a whole, they usually don't operate in the black. Uh, you know, athletic departments usually it's it's not a money making endeavor. Despite the fact that, you know, you get revenue and funds from a lot of different places, it's not really a, a a lot of times. Joe, you have football and basketball are your revenue sports. Everything else doesn't really draw money, right? So the fact that FIU athletics as a whole did turn a profit, that's something that if you're Butch Davis and to bring it all the way back to brett mcmurphy's piece you can say why is that money not being invested in the program so i think that point is fair um and then you know we can we can go line by line as far as some of the other things but i i I know you'll you'll touch on joe i feel like i've kind of ramble on for five minutes i apologize but i know you'll touch on this feeling of consternation this feeling of the athletic department not investing and to use the word that is quoted in the article sabotage uh it, that's a feeling that butch davis has had for a while uh, and, and at least that i can say for at least a year um at least the, the entirety of this year and you know he's talked about the fact that he, he hadn't had a relationship with pete garcia in the last 10 months that isn't productive for any athletic department for your uh football coach and your athletic director to not be really on speaking terms over the past year oh and, and sorry you talked about the recruiting as well uh, i'll quickly touch on that um joe you can correct me if, if i heard you wrong i believe you said that butch Davis said that he wasn't able that his staff not able to recruit during the entirety of his tenure um if i i, I don't know if that's exactly what was said because i believe that i had read that they had not been able to recruit outside of florida in a year the reason i'm making that distinction is because they have signed players really over the past uh three seasons From out of state. And I I know for a fact that coaches on the staff have gone outside of the state prior to this year and signing players. So I want to make sure I did. It was that was the direct quote. They haven't gone out of out of state since his tenure or this one year.
1: In the story, this is this is the line from McMurphy's sure. article. Sure. Davis also said his coaching staff was not allowed to go on the road recruiting the past two years because of the school's financial reasons and COVID nineteen. So McMurphy specifies that it's it's just two years, but go on the road recruiting, I guess, is a pretty pretty vague statement. Sure. But sure. based on but based on your conversations and experiences, uh, these assistant coaches have in fact been recruiting you know, all over the usual territory that FIU gets players from.
0: I I can say this um, in terms of so to the statement I just made about recruiting out of state. That's in specificity. At last, I can confirm for the record that an FIU assistant coach told me that they went out of state was 2019. That's not to say that they haven't in 2020 or 2021. That's just what I can confirm. And that's I'm going to specify out of state here because on the road, as you mentioned, is vague. (laughs) <laughs> on the road could be going to Tampa from Miami. So that's vague. So I, I will not confirm or deny that statement, but in terms of out of state, uh, I know they have as recently as the 2019 class. Um, and they had signed a player in the 2020 class, Joe Perkins from Mississippi. I'm just racking my brain off the top of my head to see if there's anybody else that I can think of from the class of 2020. Um, now I do not know in full disclosure, how Joe made it. Joe was a late signee. Jay Barry Jr. is another one um, who signed in the class of 2021 from Denver, Colorado. Uh, But again, to be completely transparent here, it's 2021, Joe, as you know, it's not like back in our day when we played, when you had to send out your, uh, your tape, (laughs) you know, huddle exists. There are a litany of ways that coaches can end up uh, contacting players. So that doesn't necessarily mean because they've signed players from out of state that, uh, they necessarily went out of state to get them. So, and 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 to be fair for our listeners, I will try to follow up on that because I, I'm sure I have some notes uh, in terms of recruiting somewhere um, that I can follow up either later this episode or next week.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, you mentioned that like you can do anything from anywhere. So, it, you know, it definitely doesn't help the situation if you if you can't go out of state, but it doesn't completely impede you. Uh, the way that it you know maybe used to. I um, don't want to get hung up too much on the the finance aspect of it, but it, I'll just say that it it is it is very odd to me that FIU athletics uh, is turning a profit, if I'm understanding you correctly, and they're not investing that money and those resources back into the athletic department to or back into the football program specifically, in order to make some of these improvements that seem. Uh, you know, at least based on the information that we have, pretty basic.
0: No, I mean, listen again. I I do I can't tell FIU how to spend their money, and football is not the only sport, right? But Joe, the example I would point to is UTSA. You look at some of the the resources, and I said what they I say they made they turned two point three million. I don't know how much of that went into the race facility that was just built. But if programs are going to invest in things such as facilities, for example, that's usually something that you take the profit that you have and you funnel it back in, and then it happens to benefit all sports, right? So that's something that, and listen, I can speak to FIU basketball. I don't want to say this is unique amongst FIU, but FIU basketball, they practice you know, at the rec center right like there's sometimes where they practice at the rec center the fiu rec center um which is public access because sometimes they have to you know split the the facilities in terms of training at the at their home gymnasium the ocean bank arena right so that could be an example of hey um having a a practice facility for basketball right now th- th- again basketball that happens fairly common um uh at certain lower level g5s but uh but overall to my overall point joe is I can understand Butch Davis's point if he's saying, "Hey, when I got here, and when Butch the 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 main the main um, I don't resource investment that has been attributed to Butch Davis was the the turf practice fields, right, which were built, I believe, in twenty seventeen. I believe was when they were they were um, they were opened up. So that was the main development, right? But you can make the argument in terms of things such as." new training facilities that some of that money could have been invested elsewhere
1: yeah i mean for sure um moving on from the finance aspect of this i I do want to get into the point that was tucked in there when we were talking about the dollars and cents of it all um if you want more on that by the way go check out sportico's thing i i've had the pleasure of meeting a few of the people who work over there they're lovely um but in terms of the relationship between Davis and the, uh, the school's administration and the athletic department in general, uh, let's move on to this line from uh, Brent McMurphy's story, where he talks about how in October, the uh, head coaching position was uh, posted on the American football coaches association website. And Eric, you and I talked about that, that the D one FBS level, that's odd, but you know, I think you could maybe chalk it up to, you know, something in the logistical process of this whole thing getting mixed up. And, you know, basically we didn't really read a lot into it. That was not the case for Davis himself. Uh, This is the quote from him. This year has been a nightmare. You can imagine the player's reaction when a head coach's job was posted online. The administration has been sabotaging the program. Their decisions to post the job has resulted in a major negative impact on the football program and our ability to recruit and retain players. And that's the full quote from, from Davis. So that's a little odd to me. I mean, it's, it is, but it isn't right. Because as you and I have talked about using these types of, you know, job pool techniques happens. I'm not, inside the inner workings of FIU athletics. So I don't know how seriously they're monitoring the candidate pool that they're attracting from these types of job postings. Um, But, you know, it it is something that, as we know, they're kind of required by, you know, rules regarding state institutions in the state of Florida to do. Now, that being said, it's, I don't know. I'm not saying Coach Davis should have or should not have, had his, you know, apparently his feelings hurt to the extent which it did when that came up. But I don't like what did you like? What do you expect him to feel? I guess if if that gets out there and, you know, he doesn't necessarily have knowledge of how the athletic department produces those candidate pools. Does that make sense? No,
0: sure. And listen, I know I spoke. I tried to be very selective with what I said in the previous part. Um, just for the sake of, you know, two sides to every story. This I can speak about. Butch Davis came out and said what he said to Brett McMurphy. I spoke with an FIU ranking official who told me Butch Davis's role was not posted, that all athletics roles are posted on these job sites, right? Because they want to have a rolling pool. And I think you and I spoke about this, you know, on the podcast that week, but we'll cover it again. They want to have a rolling pool in the event that they lose an assistant coach during the season. This, again, is going to be a matter of who do you believe. The reason I say that, Joe, is this. There are numerous FIU employees, athletics employees, who came out on social media, on Twitter and otherwise, when that situation happened and said, yeah, as bizarre as it sounds, this is the way it works. I'm going to use, I'm not going to name the person, Um, and it's on, on Twitter you can look it up. I I won't name that person, but they said that, uh, they applied for uh, a certain role and that was where they found it just on a, on a, on a job board. And it was a volunteer coaching role. uh, and, And that then turned into an assistant coaching role. That was how they found it. FIU HR is notoriously slow. FIU athletics, uh, HR is notoriously slow. In that process, I can tell you again for a fact, this is my own reporting here that I know of FIU athletic staffers, non-coaches, talking about the people who make up it work in the athletic function. In addition to coaches in various sports, assistant coaches in various sports, who were hired by FIU in terms of by the respective coaching staff or the respective, um, you know, department head, but the HR process took. Weeks following that to finish up. Actually, you know what? I the assistant, there was assistant coach Randall, there is an assistant coach, Randall mccray uh the linebackers coach for FIU. Um, that is a, an example of a coach whose situation was tied up uh for weeks, despite the fact that he was the person who was chosen by Butch Davis to take over that role. His actual process of getting through HR took uh, an extended period of time. So that's the way they do things. So I say all that to say this. Um, whatever you want to make of it, Joe, I think you and I both agreed then agree. Now it's not necessarily the greatest of practices because it's one thing to do that. If you're Nick Saban, right. If, if Joe, let's just use common sense. If we see the Alabama head coaching job was posted on the job coaching board, like, all right, yeah, that's, that's some clerical error, uh, at worst or, or, or at, at best or at best a clerical error at worst you what again it's just some mistake right like what's going on if you see fiu posting butch davis or you see the fiu head coaching job posted and at the time they were both one in five or something that extent and hadn't been an fcs fbs opponent excuse me since 2019 november 2019 uh miami it doesn't look great joe it's not great optics you or i if we see our job posted and we've just gotten nine bad performance reviews. We're gonna be like, damn, we might be out of a job. But if we just got celebrated in, you know, a, a publication, like, oh yeah, I'm good. That's just it's an error, right? So <laughs> that it, it, I right. can absolutely understand Butch Davis's feelings about that and saying, really. So I, I hopefully I covered that uh, in detail.
1: You did, and I mean, I guess this is my kind of biggest takeaway from that aspect of the story is. You know the fact that the athletic administration had the response that they did in terms of this is a normal, uh, you know, procedural thing we go through in terms of our uh, HR processes, et cetera, et cetera. And it doesn't sound like there was really any attempt from. I mean, granted, there doesn't sound like there was really any attempt from Coach Davis from Coach Davis either. It's odd to me that no one from the athletic department apparently just talk to Davis to realize like, Hey, you're still our guy. Here's what the real situation was. You know, don't (laughs) talk about it to the press or whatever. Like it's weird to me that, you know, part of the story is too that coach Davis said, like he didn't have any real relationship with FIU athletics or with the university administration for like 10 months. And it doesn't take a genius to know that is like, you know, you're heading for a situation like this where everything's kind of, Imploding. Listen,
0: you and I, I mean, sometimes, Joe, we overcomplicate this stuff when it comes to coaches and athletics and whatnot. And that's why I always bring it back to you, you or me. If we hadn't talked to our boss in 10 months, we would feel uncomfortable. In terms of, again, you know, the, the feelings, this is the example that I'll use. We talked about this in the podcast a couple of weeks ago. When conference realignment happened, it took FIU, FIU's administration, and here you know I know some of the statements I've made, and I've wanted to present the other side of Butch's statements. So I'll present something that really plays in his favor. When conference realignment happened, the teams that left for the American all left right and had their statement out. The two te- the three teams left for the Sun Belt, two of them had statements. One of them, Southern Miss, did not release a statement, and seemingly they had a plan. So, at the time. There was only one remaining conference usa team of the eight of the seven left at the time seven um who did not release a statement and that was fiu it took them nine days to release a statement and the first person to be asked on the record excuse me, the first person to comment because i asked fiu spokespeople for a comment and they said they'd never come at this time the first person to answer a question about realignment was the head coach butch davis followed by the quarterback, Max Bortenschlager. In no way should your head coach and your quarterback be the first people who are representing the university to answer questions about something that is well above their pay grade. So to bring it all the way back home in terms of not having a real relationship with whether it's been Pete Garcia or the administration, that might've been healthy to have before your head coach is hung out to dry and your quarterback, student athlete, someone who has absolutely no bearing in that type of conversation are left to answer questions about realignment.
1: Right, and I don't have anything more to add from what we talked about a couple of weeks ago in terms of how FIU handled that particular scenario. Like <laughs> again, nine days after everybody else, like things like this need to be addressed at least acknowledged as a problem, so you can start working toward a solution immediately. And the fact that they were just so slow on the gun, I I don't know. To me, it's evident that. You know, I don't know if this is a case of folks, you know, some of these folks kind of nearing their end of their, their career and just being done, or just being done with this particular scenario. But like it was, it was lazy. It was a lazy way to handle uh, something that's going to dramatically affect your university for years for years to come.
0: No, absolutely. And you know, here's kind of the final thing that I know, you know in terms of at least that I have for the FI situation. I just think this context is fair for not only Butch Davis, but for you know our listeners. We talked about this. Joe and I talked about this off here. Don't believe we ever talked about it on air, but I'll just kind of paint a picture in terms of the extended feelings of consternation between Butch Davis and FIU athletes and administration. Right? So opening week, the team clearly went winless in 2020 as everyone knows. And you know, they, they want to put that behind them opening week. They route FCS Long Island university. You think all is well, we're heading as this media heading to the post game press room and we get down there and I, I, I kind of, you know, really hammer this home for listeners to kind of get the, the understanding why this is important. There is a backdrop that it's standard. Every program has a backdrop, right? It, it, Joe, you know this, it features your sponsors, right? If you're Middle Tennessee State, that's uh, Ascend Credit Union. Federal Credit Union is one of the major sponsors for Middle Tennessee. Um, I can't think of any of Westerns off the top of my head right now, even though I know them. But for FIU, the main sponsor is Baptist Health and they paid to be the sponsor of FIU Athletics. Well, the backdrop for the presser was one that read Butch Davis football camps and had sponsors such as Tyson Chicken and other people who are not the official sponsor of FIU athletics. The reason that's important is because it's at best a conflict of, of interest. At worst, it can be an NCAA violation because you can just have people you know who aren't your sponsors just coming in there and paying and saying, Hey, we're up here. And, and that, that actually, and people can realize this, Violations can happen pretty simply. So we get down to the press room and two FIU athletics staffers are trying to frantically get that backdrop off. Butch Davis walks in, says, where is you know the backdrop? And basically says, listen, I'm not going to do this presser unless that backdrop is there. We can toss to some sound and now you don't want you to hear it from Butch Davis's mouth himself, where he essentially says, look, Like players have NIL, programs need NIL too. And this sound that you'll hear took place, again, opening week. Just goes to show you that the feelings that came out today in Brett McMurphy's piece really been boiling for a while.
1: Yes, and before we go any further, Taylor, if you want to drop that clip in here of Coach Davis addressing the media back in the opening week in regards to this uh, backdrop incident. Here you go.
0: Turn the camera. Turn the camera. Alex Kelly wants to talk to you. Who? Alex Kelly. Hmm? Alex Kelly. Tell him I'll talk to him after the press conference. Right. Hey, one thing, okay, just so that everybody knows, okay, football programs need NIL too. If the players can get millions of dollars, yeah. you know, I mean, we need people that support the football program and stuff. So I'm ready to roll. Let's go.
1: And now that you've listened to that, it, it's pretty evident that these frustrations from both parties here have been brewing for a while. And... You know, I I wish everybody involved in this kind of the best moving forward, but it's it's clear for the sake of the student-athletes coming through FIU right now that change is needed and, you know, a change in just greater, you know, athletic department policy in terms of how to, you know, continue to build these relationships and really put the future of the student-athletes ahead of your own, you know, I don't know, ahead of everything else really because that's the whole point in theory of the ncaa (laughs) in theory i say with huge quotation marks but (laughs) that's what needs to be at the forefront of this fiu rebuild the welfare of the student athletes because the you know when things like this are happening when the story surrounding your football program is not what you were doing on and off the field but how much your ad your university president and your head coach you know are are grumpy with each other <laughs> like it, to put it lightly it's not good for anybody and it's not it's just not healthy man it i don't know i'm like i have no skin in the game when it comes to fiu but it it bums me out so much to see a, just adults <laughs> you know devolve into this and and coach davis is what 70 you know you think like this is i don't know these are all pretty juvenile feelings kind of come up to the surface in my opinion but it just kind of goes to show that you know it it doesn't matter when it comes to age i guess and which is a little bit of a bummer we like to think we mature in certain ways and i don't i don't think i don't think all parties involved in this fiu situation have handled it maturely and it's i don't know it's a bummer
0: this would be my, my last thought right i don't think there's any doubt that things could have been handled better butch davis he said uh i thought it was joking but maybe he is serious looking back on it which David said a couple weeks ago, Hey, you know, when this is all said and done, I'll write the book and I'll, I'll, I'll tell it, tell it then he certainly has feelings that he is, you know, steadfast at, and, and you know, I will respect his right to those feelings. When this all came out, Joe, I'm going to bring back to student athletes. Like you talked about. My first thought was of guys like Richard Dames and Kevin Oliver and Daniel Jackson and Devonte price, Max Bortenschlager seniors who will, in the case of Bortenschlager, he transferred in 2019, but, A kid from Fishers, Indiana, who's 1,500 miles away from home and wants to restart his career at FIU, and they have no idea. All of this stuff, Joe, as you just mentioned, is so well above their pay grade. I'll use the idiom their pay grade, obviously not getting paid, but it's so above their concern. They just want to go out there and play football, and it's senior day, Joe. It's senior day coming up on Saturday, and FIU crowds have been sparse to begin with, And given some of the things that have happened this week, their final time putting on pads, at least in college, you know, who knows their pro potential may be, because could be in front of 700 people and all the conversation isn't about the fact that they've been players for four or five years, had to go through COVID testing two of those years, which is not the student athlete experience that anyone envisioned when they started college. And all of this consternation that again, it's just well above their concern. So I'll end it on that.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's a good place to end it. Um, for FIU fans that, that listen to us. Um, the thing that I can just recommend is just, just show the seniors some love. Cause this is, this is just a, a crappy situation to have to go through. If you are and not even if you're trying to play football or try to play pro football, even I should say, Um Just trying to enjoy your student-athlete experience. And when we talked to Will Healy a couple weeks ago, and this is the last thing I'll say, it was very evident from talking to him that his biggest priority as someone who works in college athletics was the student-athlete experience. And it's sad that we don't have more people who think that way because otherwise you end up with situations like this. All right, that was enough of a (laughs) – that that was a lot. We're, we're what, 45 minutes into this podcast? We haven't reviewed a game yet, Eric. (laughs) Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's jump into let's jump into Western Kentucky and the uh, victory that they got against Rice this past weekend, uh, forty-two to twenty-one. I was admittedly getting a little nervous about this game when WKU only had a seven-point lead at the end of the first quarter, and true to form for the Tops, they wait until I'm just overreacting enough to start rattling enough points. Uh, they took a 28-0 lead into the half. A huge day for Mitchell Tensley. Ten catches for 198 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, this receiver group is so deep for Western Kentucky. So fun to watch. And for Rice, I'll give them credit for picking it up a little bit in the fourth quarter and playing a really strong first quarter as well. Um, you know, you could tell that their objective going into this game was to keep Zappy off the field, and they put together some really solid time-consuming drives in that first quarter uh that being said they didn't play a complete game and you have to play a complete game against an offense that can move the ball this quickly
0: joe i am gonna start with bailey Zappi. can we just i know we shower him with praise but living up to the hype that he came into this conference with was so difficult right it's i don't want to call him forgive me you know fans uh one of the things I admire about LeBron James the most is that he came to the NBA with so much hype and not only has he lived up to it, he's exceeded it. I'm not saying that Bailey Zappi came into conference USA with LeBron James esque hype, but all the national publications talked about him being one of the top transfers in the nation and coming from the FCS, you know, ranks, there was question, but could he do it at FBS? I didn't have those questions, but I know certain other, you know, people in in the conference USA, uh, um, you know, kind of, Twitter sphere had those questions, and Joe he's blown all of those things out of the water. And even when the team got off to a slow start, you couldn't say it was Bailey's happy; he wasn't doing his job. So that's just what impresses me the most. And then let's give credit to the Western Kentucky defense. While not great, they've come around once conference USA once conference play is, is kind of you know gotten to the into the swing of things. So I got to give them credit as well. They're making just enough plays. While Rice, you know, again, a team that certainly has their own offensive struggles, the 21 points, the majority of those came in the second half. So I'm not going to hold that against the Western Kentucky defense, but they're making enough plays to where you feel confident as a Western fan. I'd hope you would feel confident and say, hey, this isn't just a one man show. This can be a full team. And that's really inciting when you look at the fact that they have a shot to win the East, a very good shot to win the East. As a matter of fact, they're leading the East right now and they really came on at the right time. And just, again, very impressed with Tyson Helton. And really, Joe, when you look at the amount of new players that came onto this roster, I think that's a thing that you kind of had to, maybe we under, maybe we overestimated whether or not the offense could be going pull off some upsets early. But well, we underestimated the amount of time it would take for just all these new additions to gel. And they really are catching
1: their stride at the right time. Yeah, with, with Zappy, like 42 touchdowns this year is crazy. He still has a decent shot to be... Uh, I believe it's third all time in career passing touchdowns at Western Kentucky. The only person who I'm confident he, he will not beat in terms of that number is Brandon Dowdy who had 111. Uh, if he could get 111 touchdowns in a year, I'd be extremely impressed, but it's, it's possible he cracks that top three still. And one more concluding thought I will say about Western Kentucky and kind of where this program's heading. You look at those receivers that we just mentioned uh, look at look at some of these receivers. You have Mitchell Tinsley, like Joshua Simon, sophomore this year. Dane Salterelli, uh, Oklahoma transfer, redshirt sophomore. Uh, then you go down to uh, Mitchell Tinsley, junior, still has eligibility left. Jarrett Stearns, still a junior. Josh Stearns, the freshman. Uh, Daywood Davis is redshirt junior. Uh, you see if you can get him to stay back. And then you still have you know a lot of really strong. Uh, younger guys under him. That being said, if Chance McDonald, who we got to see a little bit of at quarterback in this game once they pulled Zappy, he's got some work to do. But if you have that really talented group of receivers, that's got to be a little bit of a boost for confidence uh, for this kid who is more than likely, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of time between now and, and next fall camp. But for whoever, right now, it kind of seems like it's going to be Chance McDonald. For whoever takes over that QB1 role for Western, once Bailey Zappi eventually leaves, you have some help. So that has to be comforting, even though you're only going to have Bailey Zappi for a year.
0: Yeah, well, Joe, see, here's the thing that I think is really key, right? When you look at how well this offense is fared, and Chance McDonald is a true freshman, right? So that is someone who was recruited by Tyson Helton, Zach Kittley for this offense. It's not like you're plugging a quarterback right. in who, who, you know, it, right isn't going to fit that system but when you look at how successful this year has been that does open yourself up for other guys who may want to because the the this air raid offense is one i believe i saw the stat i, I want to credit it uh I, you know i don't want to miscredit it, so I, I won't say a name but i saw a stat uh that the top five passers in FBS this year four of them come from air raid systems so you could open yourself to the transfer portal market You can open yourself up to certainly. I mean, look, Joe, we saw what happened at Texas Tech when they really got the air raid going. If it's one thing that the Raiders, the, the Red Raiders are able to have is a quarterback, and that probably allows Western to recruit quarterbacks from damn near anywhere. That's a, that's a plus. And even if it is Chance McDonald, again, he has the year on the system. He came all the way from Washington's. So and that kind of thing, you know, plays into the point that with this system, it's one that's appealing to quarterbacks. Definitely one that has to be exciting for Topps fans going forward, in addition to the receivers you mentioned them having.
1: Yeah, it's exciting for me, for sure. <laughs> hey, kids, want to throw the ball 60 times a game? Coming to Western Kentucky. I, I'm i all for it. <laughs> um, with that, then let's move on to uh, UTSA and Southern Miss. Uh, 27-17 to roadrunner victory here. Uh, Eric, I did not get a chance to watch this game live, but I cannot remember a game in recent memory where I was so eager to watch the recording once I heard that Frank Gore Jr. was moved to quarterback to start the game here. <laughs> and he, he got hurt in the third quarter, so didn't see him for the entire game. But he played admirably. He had a pretty decent spiral going. And Southern Miss as a whole played pretty well, considering they were like one twisted ankle away from playing a Gatorade cooler with a Jersey pulled over it or something. (laughs) Their roster was that depleted. Um, But thanks in large part to the amount of pressure that Southern Miss was able to apply to UTSA's backfield here. This was kind of a rough offensive day for UTSA for like 75% of this game, though we did see some pretty monster plays from Zachary Franklin in particular in spots here joe i i
0: gotta i I, listen i don't want to like make a hard pivot here to what you said because all of it is great you know analysis on your part joe any uh, disappointment or eyebrow raising as you said i know you're pretty eager to go watch this game because frank gore jr was their quarterback the number 23 team in the nation and listen we all think utsa is a very good team but damn uh, I would think they'd be able to get out to a little bit more when you're playing a running back at quarterback. Right. So, I mean, just thoughts on that before I kind of dive into it, you know, UTSA.
1: Yeah. I mean, like I, I kind of alluded to, they really looked off for most of this game. And again, the fact that, you know, I think ultimately, I think they got to about the fourth quarter and were just like, what are we doing? And like, finally right. kind of started to turn it on. But, yeah, you know Frank Harris had some throws that were really off, led to a couple interceptions. Um, you know, defensively, it you know looked like they were in, in slow motion for a lot of the early parts of this game. This was not UTSA's best day. So, like, I mean, I think that's a testament to the roster that Trailers built. The fact that you know they they can you know not not play their best football and, and still come away with multi score victories like this, but. Yeah, this was, you know, this this could have been a lot a lot better, um, and I mean, you know, I don't know at this point. Like, oh, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in terms of you know running up the score to kind of improve your rating. I think UTSA are kind of past the point where that's of the utmost importance to them because obviously at the very end of this game they had the point to tack on a couple more points, uh, and then but instead they uh, they took a knee at the Southern Miss like two yard line something like that. I don't know. All that to say, you know, I, it feels like UTSA sort of took their foot off the gas a little bit. And that's a little bit concerning, but I'm not going to overreact. I still think they're the best team in this league. Right. OK, so you hit exactly what I was thinking. Right. I, I I
0: listen. I think UTSA is as good as advertised. But when you come out and it's like, oh, crap, Frank Gore's playing quarterback. We've beaten, <laughs> we've beaten nine other teams with a starting quarterback, and Frank Gore's playing quarterback. Yeah, the, that sense has to set in where it's like, all right, right, we'll, we'll, we'll get around to it. And also, I'm sure even from a coaching staff, it probably throws you for a loop, and you're thinking everything you had in terms of you know game plan and whatnot. It's like, all right, they're running backs playing quarterback. We, we can we can do some things. So that's really my big takeaway, and it's I think I, I had said in terms of. The concept that UTSA, could they be scared or potentially slip up uh, the rest of the year? I don't see that. because so I think this was really their wake-up call. So um, really all I have to add on, on that as far as that game's concerned
1: then we'll move on to louisiana tech and charlotte uh texters win this one 42 to 32 a little bit of a surprise here a uh, good old-fashioned shootout in Ruston. 74 total points scored and 1052 yards from scrimmage in this game uh for louisiana tech marcus williams jr dominated uh with 131 yards in on the ground with four rushing touchdowns which is the most by a louisiana tech player in one game since 2012 so You know, Louisiana Tech continuing to kind of show some flashes there. But, you know, as the rest of this season has kind of shown, you know, it's a little it's a little too little too late. But playing with a lot of pride Uh, and for Charlotte, man, they they have really had trouble winning on the road this year. I think they've lost four away games so far this season. And this one on Chris Reynolds birthday, his birthday, Eric, they couldn't get him a win on his birthday.
0: Yeah, definitely not the birthday gift that Chris Reynolds would have wanted. He certainly had a hell of a game. When you look at the numbers, the 448 passing yards. Believe that's a career high for him. But two things, Joe, caught my eye. A, Aaron Allen ends up getting the start instead of J.D. Head, right? And that could be, you know, they want to save J.D. Head for next year, the you know highly touted freshman that we saw a couple weeks ago, uh, last week, excuse me. And Aaron Allen responded by going 21-27, of a guy who you go back a this time two years ago, a year and a half ago, he was in the race with Luke Anthony to see if he could take over as quarterback of, uh, of almost said of quarterback of FIU, quarterback of La Tech, and really kind of fell out of favor when Luke Anthony had the better year last year. So good to see him have a really good game. But I think it also says, Joe, you talk about Marcus Williams Jr. It also talks about just the Charlotte defense as a whole has really been their Achilles heel. Now, in this game, when you... Run the ball, I mean, 28 times for 100 yards. If you subtract Chris Reynolds, seven carries for one yard, it's what 21 carries for 99 yards. So, certainly had a, a decent game on the ground, but just not enough of it in terms of the five carries for Javon McEachern, nine carries for Calvin Camp, six for Shad Bird. So, not really enough of the run game to really sustain things. And you get down early and you're having to pass the football. But this, the defensive struggles for Charlotte really have, I don't want to say undone this team because they're still in bowl contention, but right now, you go from if you're six and four and four and two in the conference, you're right there with West Kentucky in terms of being in, in that race for, to win the East right now, five and five. It's like, you well, know, we just got this win win one to get to a bowl game. So that certainly is
1: an issue for Will Healy's team. Yeah. You know, so I, are Charlotte officially, they're officially out of this USA East race with this loss, correct? Uh,
0: I believe so. Yeah. Cause at three and three, yeah, three and th- well, I guess what there are two weeks left. Western would have to. Charlotte lost to Western, correct? I believe, yeah. They Charlotte- they did, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so this right, so they would be out. Um, and they lost to Marshall too. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, they lost. They lost to Marshall. Uh, so yes, so Charlotte is out.
1: Oh, sorry, sorry, okay. no, yeah, no, that- they, I'm sorry. No, sorry.
0: No, no, I apologize, Joe. They have not played Marshall. So the, I guess the only scenario oh. is. Uh, Marshall, Marshall and Western play, right? Now we're going to start getting into Conference USA East uh, scenarios, right? Like NFL playoff scenarios. So I know Marshall mm-hmm. plays Western Kentucky in two weeks because Western Kentucky plays FAU this week. But I guess mm-hmm. the scenario would have to be – they would have to – Charlotte would have to win out. Marshall would have to beat Western Kentucky. But even then, yeah, I, I even even then, I think – well, yeah, if, if Marshall lost to Western, that put them at five and three, Charlotte would have to win out, and Western would have to lose their final two. Okay, so that's the scenario. That that should be the scenario, Joe.
1: Gotcha. So yeah, a lot of math there, but uh <laughs> it's it's a long shot, let's just say, for, for Charlotte to still win the East at this point. A very, very long shot. Um, with that, then let's talk about Middle Tennessee. Uh, beating FIU 50-10, to 10. Uh, a little redemption for MTSU quarterback Nick Vadiato as he goes 20-24 for 147 yards and two touchdowns in this game. Uh, Eric, I can't remember the last time we saw a Middle Tennessee game with this effective rushing attack uh, as they average 5.6 yards per carry for 261 total yards on the day here. Um, and keeping it, you know, specifically talking about on the field for FIU, we really thought Max Bortenschlager was going to be the thing that gave FIU a chance in this game, but he he struggled in this one. Yeah, Joe,
0: I remember the last time Middle Tennessee had the type of rushing game. It was against FIU 2019 when they ran for 471 yards. <laughs> last time these two, these two teams played at Floyd Stadium, a game that I, I covered, was not live at Floyd for this one. But yeah, the run game for Middle Tennessee certainly got going. Martel Petway. Had a 57-yard burst, you know, just 11 carries for 95 yards, just a shade under 100. Everyone was able to get in the action. Nick Vadiato, the true freshman from South Florida, from Broward County, Fort Lauderdale, goes 20-24 for a buck 47-2 scores. Really the turning point in this game, Joe, disastrous second quarter for FIU. They had a, a stretch, Joe, where Middle Tennessee scores, FIU gets the ball back, Max Bortenschlager throws a pick sixth, Quincy Riley. Takes back to the house. FIU gets the ball back. The first play on a swing pass to Tyrese Chambers. He fumbles and it's recovered by Middle Tennessee. I believe it was recovered by Greg Great. Memory serves me correct. So that kind of stretch is just, you know, shoot yourself in the foot and takes you out of ball games. That game was more than decided by halftime. Thirty four, three at the half. Middle Tennessee. And and anyone knows Rick Stockton and Bush Davis, a lot of respect between the two people. So Bush Davis certainly called off the dogs, was not looking to really let things get out of hand after Middle Tennessee really, uh, you know, commanded the first half and had things well in control in the second half. So,
1: yeah, you know, we we talked a little bit about Western's future at quarterback post Bailey Zappi. How do you feel about the future of the program with, uh, you know, Nick Vadiato? And obviously, he had some issues against Western Kentucky the other week. And obviously, these two games, not the best sample size, but you know, now that he's sort of settling into the role, I personally, I feel like he—I don't know—I I feel like he'll be a decent piece for MTSU moving forward. It's still early, Joe. The thing with Vadiato is he's—he's
0: he's almost kind of that prototypical. Uh, uh, I'm not sure the word prototypical, but in terms of size, he's about five ten, five eleven. Uh, 190 pounds so you know I think he may be listed at at 6'1 but the thing is he's absolutely one of those quarterbacks who kind of fits that Asher O'Hara I mean even even Brent Stockstill was not a giant quarterback right so it fits a guy who can make plays with his legs make enough plays with his arms and and with his arm not both arms with his arm and we'll see what happens but I definitely think there is a is a place for him I don't want to rule out Mike DeLeo as well but we'll see. I mean, they recruit him for a reason. It was a three-star, you know, prospect. So
1: definitely an interesting, uh, interesting case. And I, I can't disagree with you that there may be a future for him. Let's move on to Old Dominion beating. FAU thirty to sixteen. Uh, FAU giving up three safeties in this game for the fourth time in FBS history. Uh, I should say that's the only they're only the fourth team in FBS history to uh, accomplish "quote unquote" this feat of giving up three safeties in a game. Uh, Old Dominion prevent the Alice from reaching bowl eligibility for the time being, uh, though they still have a chance. They're five and five with two games left. Not the best day for Old Dominion's offense, but enough to get it done. And it helps that the defense and the special teams had such a strong day. Uh, meanwhile, for FAU, you get two more shots to get bowl eligibility and you need to beat WKU and hope for a Marshall loss if you want to win the East, as we just got done talking about USA East scenarios there. Joe, when you look at this game,
0: I'm not going to say I was surprised, but it's a game that I warned a lot of FAU fans down here in South Florida I know you think, all right, FIU lost to ODU. Okay, whatever. It's FIU. You know they haven't won a game against FBS team forever. This is not a pushover ODU team. This is not the same 111 team that was coached by uh, Bobby Wilder in 2019. This team really has some talent, and we talked about it last week, Joe. The move to go to Hayden Wolf is really paying immediate dividends in terms of the passing game. 21 to 33 for 298 at 289 and a touchdown. I just think from the FAU side of things, five and five, three and three in the conference. Joe, we've talked about it throughout the podcast, throughout the season. They, from a talent perspective, have a ton of players, or at least we like to believe they do. But at this point, when you're just having these starts, three points through a half, how many times have we talked about that offense not getting going? Willie Taggart really has to evaluate what it is that you know they're trying to do just from an overall philosophy point of view, because it's one thing to lose, right? And I, I don't think no one's ever going to say that it's better to lose 45-42 than 30-16, but we've talked about it, Joe. The, the Lane Kiffin era, saw points put on the board. Offense was never an issue. Just to see this type of regression is just really surprising. But give credit to Ricky Ronnie. We didn't think that ODU had a shot at a bowl this year. We didn't think that ODU had a shot at a bowl even after the FIU win. But they're 4-6. and six. And, yeah, it's going to take, you know, I don't want to say a Herculean effort because Charlotte's had their struggles and MTSU has had their struggles. They're fine for a bowl as well. But, Joe, 50-50
1: games, right, against Middle and Charlotte, in your mind? Yeah, probably. I mean, here's my thought on FAU in general this year. Do you play the Grand Theft Auto video games, Eric? Oh, yeah, listen, uh, Vice City, classic. (laughs) but that's a good one uh in the new ones especially because of the driving engine changes from year to year anyway in gta 5 the really fast like sports cars that you can drive when you pick up a lot of speed you go very very quickly it's very fun to watch but like if a gust of wind comes you are flipping crashing you know everybody's dying the big wasted comes up on the screen that's what fae reminds me of if they can get going and they are dialed in they are one of the more they're they're one of the most dangerous teams in the g5 the issue is they're so painfully inconsistent and when faced with like you know any kind of a minor inconvenience or or whatever to start the game they have such a hard time picking themselves back up and i think this game's a pretty strong example of that how's that for an assessment
0: First off, the fact that you managed to get a Grand Theft Auto reference, I'm just impressed. I got it. And it's not that I think you don't play GTA. It's the fact that you managed to work into this podcast, right, which shows I am not the only one who's trying to work in some pop culture things. But to your point, I think you're spot on. So I'm not even going to touch it. I just think you did a I want (laughs) to let that assessment speak for itself.
1: Thank you, sir. Uh, <laughs> with that, I guess we'll we'll wrap up the review of last week with uh, Marshall and UAB. UAB wins this one 21-14 in Huntington. Uh, huge ramifications from this game for Conference USA. Uh, for one, UAB are still alive in the West race as a result of this victory for them. And Marshall losing means Western Kentucky are now the leaders in the East. And provided that both Marshall and Western Kentucky win this week, the moonshine throwdown in a couple of weeks will function as the CUSA East championship game. Uh, so, in this one, a couple of things I want to mention. Obviously, UAB, uh, Dwayne McBride played fantastic. That running game played the way that we know they can with that extremely experienced offensive line, uh, really did what they needed to do against uh, a Marshall defensive line that we've heralded all year. Uh, and for the Blazers, another thing that they did particularly well, only six penalties for them here. And I, several of them came at the very end of the game. And as Bill Clark noted, he was very happy with the, you know, the extra discipline that his team showed and improved from being, uh, I think having the third most penalties in all of FBS. So uh, the six here tied for a season low for them, which you, you have to be happy about. Um, and then my note from Marshall, Grant Wells is not playing well in the second half of games. Um, I wrote a little bit about it on the site this week, but I mean, if you look at what he's done this year and specifically like his passing performance in the first and second quarter versus the third and fourth quarter, let me put it this way In the first and second quarters, Wells has thrown for seven touchdowns and three interceptions. In the third and fourth quarters, Wells is thrown for five touchdowns with nine interceptions, despite fewer pass attempts by him in the second half. And if you go back to Marshall's last drive in this game, they were moving the ball. They had a chance to come back and tie this game up and potentially win it. But I mean, he threw this ball like directly into Grayson Cash's hands. And I mean, Grayson cash has enough of a helmet visor where you can see his face. And he was in disbelief that this ball like fell into his hands. It was a, I I love Grant Wells' game, but that was a terrible throw. So Marshall, you know, creating a, a little bit more of an uphill battle for themselves if they want to win the division here.
0: Yeah, I, listen, I I don't want to speak for Charles Huff, but I had a chance to catch him post game after the FIU uh, game. And in his post game, he talked about how proud he was in terms of the most complete game they've played and the best week of football. And those things aren't cliche things that you hear coaches say. But I say that to say this. I'm more than sure that he has to be disappointed with the way his team played. Not that they played, you know, horribly, but this is a game that you would think in terms of, uh, Joe, you think it's fair to say measuring stick game, right? In ter- you play the defending West champs, four-time West champs, and they're six and three, you know, you're five and three, and you're trying to make that push for East title. This is, if you're a head coach, this is a
1: measuring stick game. Fair yeah this is a great opportunity to kind of see what the true ability of your team is right so i only say that to say i'm sure for coach
0: huff he's probably disappointed in, in the way that the game played out again not that they played poorly but the 16 carries for 41 yards from rashin ali that's just a credit to that uab defense the fact that they've been banged up throughout the year still don't have christopher mole back I, at this point you got to wonder if uh, he his season is finished but they get Grayson Cash, or they have Grayson Cash. They've gotten C.D. Daniels and Dijon Turner back. They still have a very talented defense. So, so those guys really stepped up and made plays. And that's certainly boom or bust big play passing game, 19 yards per reception. Garrett Prince, 5 for 100. Trey Shropshire, two two grabs for 100. One grab at 64, the other for 36, if my uh, quick math is correct there. And last but not least, Dwayne McBride, really catching his stride here with the 100-yard game. So Give credit to Bill Clark, right? No matter what you want to say about the Blazers, <laughs> they, y'all. You know, it seems like you'll, you'll look up this point of the year and they'll be eight and two or seven and three, and right there in contention. Definitely going to see what's going to happen because they got a showdown with UTSA. So we'll see how uh, that plays out.
1: Yeah, the Almo Dome is the place to be this weekend. That is for sure. Actually, we have one more game this week. I almost forgot, Eric. North Texas 20, UTEP 17. And it's fitting because I have in my notes, this was a great game that got missed with everything else that happened this weekend. Uh, North Texas wins this one on a go-ahead field goal with seven seconds left. Uh, North Texas offense looked a little bit like their old selves in this one. And lo and behold, they're on a three-game win streak. And UTEP eh, has fallen off a little bit.
0: <sighs> I, I, I don't want to come down too hard on UTEP because six wins is six wins and where that program's come from i i I do not want to be you know debbie downer right but uh debbie downer very outdated phrase right joe that i I, I dated myself but anyhow um (laughs) the thing is i think i'm not necessarily saying it's not disappointing but i don't think there's necessarily reason to be concerned the reason i say that is because given the way that utep played in the opening you know Part of the season, we've talked about the fact that that schedule certainly was wasn't the toughest in the world, but they're still competing in in games. and in my mind, that in itself is just progress. Now, if they close the year on a six game losing streak or I mean, it may not be six game losing streak, but if they close the, the year six and six, then all right, you, you, you that's probably something to be concerned about, but not one that I think you 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 know start having the five alarm fire and think, all right, this is gonna be an issue. to North Texas, how often, Joe, we talk on this podcast, whether it was Phil Bennett, Clinton Bowen, or, you know, whoever else, a defensive coordinator, they have not been able to stop anybody. So the fact that they held this dynamic UTEP offense with two of the best receivers in the league in Jacob Kong and Justin Garrett, the 17 points, that in itself, in my mind, is a win. Yeah, the passing game is still a work in progress, and it's not the uh, North, Texas, North Texas mean green passing attack of all at Mason Fine. But I'm going to give him credit. I'm not going to take anything away from that. The fact that they played defense and won a game. Deion Noble, seven tackles, two and a half tackles for loss. You know, we know what kind of player he is. The Murphy twins are making plays. KD Davis, uh, Tyreek Davis, and others. I, I, I just again, I'm kind of flabbergasted with the fact that they held a team to 17 points and won a game in a much different fashion than the way they'd won games in you know really the three-year stretch. And Seth Luttrell really uh, was kind of running things there in ten. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I was gonna say this result says more about where this North Texas team has evolved to at this point in the year, despite the, you know <laughs> issues that they've dealt with, especially defensively, all throughout the year. So a credit to them for um, you know, fixing things, even if it is a little bit too late, and especially stepping up in this way against, like you said, a UTEP offense that at any at any given time can really cause problems for you. Uh, before we get into the previews for this week, um, one other news story from CUSA that did want to uh, talk about a little bit just because it was, I don't know, uh, one of those things where like hindsight is twenty twenty, and it's interesting to hear an AD say it. And it's also just kind of interesting to um, see how candid some of these guys can be uh, at times when they're really, you know, feeling like, they really have no control over a situation. Um, I'm, of course, talking about Todd Stewart, talking to uh, Jared McDonald from the Bowling Green Daily News. And basically, if you haven't read this article yet, I, I highly suggest you uh, go back and look for it. Um, just Google <laughs> Carousel of Madness, Todd Stewart. Um, and it basically, it is kind of a timeline of, of how Western Kentucky came to the decision, quote-unquote, of staying in Conference USA um, despite the you know heavy momentum they built in terms of gaining uh, Mac membership, and there's a few things in here. Uh, normally, Todd Stewart tells uh, Jared McDonald explicitly that had Middle Tennessee been able to you know financially afford to be able to join the Mac, he knows they would still be in it, which is what we all suspected, but he confirmed it. And also. <laughs> It's it's interesting, there is a uh, quote in here about Texas that I want to read you um, that is su- surprised me and made me laugh. So he- here's the quote, Eric. If it was a blind resume and the Southeastern Conference was told you can have the sixth winningest program in the Big 12 Conference, they would say no. But then you find out it's Texas and they say yes. I think that's a little bit about, I think that that says a little bit about what's going on is the quote. <laughs> um, and a, I, oh man, I I love that stat about what Texas has, has been able to, you know, build to. And uh, also, I don't know. It's just interesting. Um, I, I really recommend this article about what uh, Todd Stewart has been up to in terms of everything that he's, he's gone through to try to get Western into a different conference.
0: Joe, I, I got to ask you your thoughts on one more thing. How how you walk into CUSA after making these statements? Like how you walk into, into Frisco? I just I just want your thoughts on that before I apply.
1: I don't know. I mean, I think it's like I think it's just one of those things where I, I think he kind of mentions it in this article. Where I think kind of the general consensus amongst the remaining uh, CUSA schools once it was announced that. Uh, the six who left the American would be leaving. And uh, one more note on that. He basically says, like, all of the CUSA athletic directors were at a meeting in Dallas and nobody suspected anything. And then the announcement came out, like, the next morning after all the ADs were having dinner together and nobody except the ADs of the school who, schools who were actually moving knew that was coming. And that's fascinating to me. Um <laughs> But yeah, like as far as (laughs) Todd Stewart's relationship with the CUSA league office and, you know, that's, that's going to be interesting. Um, You know, I'm sure there's going to be, you know, some smiles through gritted teeth uh, for the next few years here until a Western can kind of figure out a, a situation that is more desirable for them, but I don't know. Also, I think with all of the teams that are still in COSA and for COSA itself, it's kind of a, I mean, it's a marriage of convenience. You know, they are where they are financially and in terms of the competitive landscape of college sports, and they really have no choice but to make it work. So it's it's interesting. And I don't envy that position at all.
0: Joe, I'm, I'm sorry. You asked me a question and you wanted legitimate analysis. And after you gave me that detail of the story, I got nothing more than jokes, man. Like, yo. So like Lisa Campos over there, like texting Brian White. Like, man, they don't even know. <laughs> you know, like, like <laughs> Lisa Campos and Brian White are having a conversation with Todd Stewart and Pete Garcia. And they're like, oh, word. Cool. Yeah, that's, what's up, man. that's great. <laughs> really? Oh, man. Yo, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like those generic responses that we give people. And by me, I said in the urban yeah. slant, so I meant black people. Uh, give people when like, you, you you listen to your story, but it's like, uh, yeah, you're not really engaged. They over there like, yeah. Oh, man. The Conference USA TV deal? Gee golly, I hate it too. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> Meanwhile, they got the one Snapchat. chat, just, just other six, laughing at these suckers. Oh, that's hilarious. I'm sorry. You want a real analysis, but that's all I got.
1: <laughs> no, I will take that analysis perfectly fine. Thank you. And I, I I also love side note that the phrase that's crazy is the go-to for like, I'm not listening, but I don't want you to know I'm not listening. <laughs> listen to me, Joe. If I for, for all of the listen the onion initiated
0: all right, if you ever hear me say this in sequence, damn, for real? That's crazy. It's a really good chance I'm not listening to what you're saying. Us up?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the way it goes, man. Um, with that, then let's move on to previews for this week. We have uh, Louisiana tech and Southern miss to start things off on Friday night, 8 PM Eastern on CBS sports network tech minus 16 and a half. Uh, both teams just playing for pride at this point. Tech clearly still has something left in the tank after their display against UTSA last week. Uh, not sure what Southern Miss is going to do to resolve their quarterback situation this week, but uh, frankly, not sure it affects my pick for this game too much. Uh, I think Tech wins this one.
0: Yeah, I, I have to take Louisiana Tech, and that's not to say that you know I'm not laughing at Southern Miss. I mean, their quarterback situation has been it has it, been it is what it is in terms of quarterback situation what's been all year. But just in terms of having a more complete team, a more depth,
1: I would have picked Tech anyhow. But given the quarterback situation, uh, I think it's pretty academic. Then on Saturday, we have Western Kentucky and FAU opening up the CUSA slate for the day at uh, noon Eastern on Stadium. Tops favored by 10 heading into this game. Uh, And it's a must-win situation for them as they try to stay alive in the CUSA East race. Uh, Tops are playing really well. I'll say this. I I think the WKU run defense needs to be 100% on. I'm not as concerned about... Western's past defense, considering the ridiculous amount of interceptions that they've had in the last two weeks, I think it's like seven. Um, But I think FAU is much more capable of actually accomplishing what Rice tried to do last week, which is keep Zappy off the field as much as possible. I'm going to pick WKU, but now is definitely not the time to get complacent if you're Tyson Helton's team. Joe, this is a very
0: intriguing game. Now I'll put on my serious analysis voice after, you know, the uh, the uh, CUSAAD uh, analysis. But for FAU, five and six after the year you had last year, If of course, if you lose this game, that – listen, there's already a feeling in Boca from being around people who are around uh, fans of the program and, and you know, um, the, the Shula Bowl podcast that I do for, you know, other outlets – FAU fans are certainly frustrated in terms of the way things have played out. If you drop to five and six, I, I'm not saying that Willie Taggart is in any danger. I think he, is, he will be back in 2022. But I just think all the way around, this has to be an overall disappointment. Now, switch it to Western, they have a lot they're playing for, as we talked about. I just think it would be a great story based on the way they started the year. And it wasn't like they played bad. Just, you know, I, I think they caught a couple situations where styles make fights especially that game up there, you know, uh, against West Point and in West Point against Army. But if you can come back and beat FAU and really put yourself in the driver's seat to where you control your own destiny next week or in two weeks against Marshall. That's huge. So definitely be looking forward to this one. Give me. Oh, man. Uh, give me the tops. They're playing better football right now.
1: For real. That's crazy. <laughs> 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 I couldn't resist. Uh, oh. All right. We have UTSA hosting UAB in the Alamo Dome. Uh, still number 23 UTSA, I might add. Kickoff set for 3.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, Roadrunners minus 4.5 heading into this one. It's the CUSA West Championship, folks. Uh, UAB has some momentum uh, building after that Marshall win last week. UTSA definitely could have played better against Southern Miss, even though they won. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting clash of energies in the Alamo Dome. Uh, UAB, as we said, still alive in the USA West race. If they want to win that, they have to win this, but I'm going to take USA. I don't, I don't see them dropping this at home, and it doesn't, it, they don't strike me as the kind of team to uh, see the kind of performance they had against Southern Miss and not think, oh, man, we got to tighten things up. Listen, I think
0: Saturday, November 20th has a chance to be the coronation for Jeff Trailer, Lisa Campos, and the UTSA Roadrunner program this will be the, ga- the day, the game, where they knock off the four-time defending CUSA West champs. Give me UTSA. As to your point, I just think they have so much they're playing for. And not that UAB isn't capable of winning this game, but just on the field, if this had been, you know, Tyler Johnson, you know, coming and having the year that we kind of thought and hoped he may have had entering the season and the offense is clicking all cylinders and they weren't some injuries, it's a different team. But I just think there's too much they're to playing for. I think Dylan Hopkins, while he's certainly adequate at quarterback, I just don't think there's enough there. It's going to take a hell of a game from you know Dwayne McBride and, and the rushing attack and that defense. I just don't think there's enough. So Saturday, November twentieth, that will be the coronation for the Roadrunners. Meet, meet Jared Calmus. Live it up, my man.
1: <laughs> uh, and then we have Charlotte hosting Marshall, three thirty Eastern on Stadium. Marshall minus fifteen. I think Marshall wins this, but I say that with some light hesitation, uh, Grant Wells has to play better in the second half. But ultimately, I don't see Charlotte being able to keep this Marshall defense out of the backfield the way that UAB's offensive line was last week. And I think that's going to create a lot of problems, as as it has for all of Marshall's opponents this season, really. Yeah, give me the herd. And that's not to say that Charlotte
0: isn't a talented and capable team. We know the weapons they have offensively. But defensively, I do not see enough. I see this being a Rasheen Ali day. Corey Gamage definitely think he'll bounce back in the receiving game. And most importantly, Charles Huff. Uh, while the team did have its struggles mid-year, I think he's, he, again, his – his. what I had said earlier in the, in the year, Joe, is I think it was going to take time for Charles Huff to really – put his imprint on this team, I think they're further along in that process. So I don't see them having another stretch where they
1: lose, you know, two or three games in a row. Give me the herd. And we have uh, MTSU hosting old dominion three thirty Eastern on ESPN plus uh, blue Raiders minus three and a half. I'm picking old dominion for the upset in this one. I love the way that they've been playing these last few weeks. Uh, no disrespect to MTSU. They have rebounded in a huge way. But I think Ricky Ronnie has his team playing extremely well at the moment. And MTSU just, I i don't think they're going to be able to stop him playing and Temple. Okay. You're taking ODU.
0: I, mm-hmm. and this was a very much a 50, 50 game for me. So you're going to have ODU at five and six with a chance to make a bowl game. That's that'd be a hell of a freaking story for Rick. Even the four wins is great. But if that scenario happens, I mean, what a storyline. Right. Uh, I, I was really torn on this one in general. I'm gonna take Middle Tennessee, man. I'm really going against all my better judgment here because when I look uh, just on terms of roster and uh, and the way the team's been playing, I think ODU. Listen, Blake Watson. first off, before we kind of you know before I banter around with this pick, let me talk about some players. Blake Watson is having a hell of a year. I think he's third in rushing still in Conference USA. Someone who was. A uh, former receiver, you know, we've um, all conference freshman, all conference uh, as a freshman as a kick returner, great years of full time running back, Lala Davis in the uh, the RB two role, and so kind of performed well there as well. Hayden Wolf really appears to be locking down the QB one job, but I still not enough to talk myself into taking ODU. I, I I I guess I'm going with the veteran coach. That's my logic, so I'll take stock.
1: Yeah, man. Hey, I man. Either you're right or you're wrong. There's no. <laughs> we're picking football games. It's not that serious. <laughs> you're acting like hey, it's oh, always serious, Joe. Don't you know <laughs> like, our, our Twitter mentions when we were getting stuff wrong? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, as a fellow nerd who spends all his time staring at monitors in a basement, I'm not scared of other nerds who spend all their time staring at monitors <laughs> in a basement. You're you're over here acting like it's Sophie's Choice picking a football game.
0: Okay. True. <laughs> True. I. You I, I, <laughs> I stand. Down. <laughs>
1: Oh, uh, that's crazy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. this is, like, uh that,
0: it, like that. I don't know what the hell Sophie's choice is, but I'll rock with it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that makes it funnier. All right. We have UTEP hosting rice at uh four o'clock Eastern on ESPN plus UTEP minus ten. Listen. Rice keeps showing these flashes of not being completely inept. They did that in the first quarter against Western Kentucky last week, obviously did in that win against UAB. Uh, I'm picking UTEP, but I think this is a, a one-score game, honestly. Sorry,
0: I hit the old Google machine. Sophie's Choice, a 1982 drama and romance. Okay. Uh, Meryl Streep. All right, you know, I can rock with that. Yo, I might come back with you with a book report next week on Sophie's Choice. Uh, I like Meryl Streep. Uh, in terms of on the field, UTEP and Rice, uh, listen, I, I'm going with UTEP. I, I just think, in terms of defensively, I'm looking for praise Amahule and you know the guys that have been really established there, especially in the secondary. You know they have a really strong secondary, and the fact that Rice with Jay Constantine they've managed to get a semblance of a passing game, or not a semblance, a really solid passing game over the past few weeks. But I just think UTEP again, they're looking to show all the doubters they've had. You know the, the feeling of getting fans back in the Sun Bowl in El Paso.
1: You don't want to let that just fall by the wayside and continue to lose games. So give me UTEP. Uh, and then to close out the slate, FIU hosts North Texas for the Panthers Senior Day, uh, 7 o'clock Eastern on ESPN3, uh, Main Green minus 10. Credit to North Texas for getting it, to, uh, getting it somewhat together with this late season surge. Uh, FIU, I, I have no idea how they can be in a place mentally to play winning football this week. Uh, give me UNT by a couple touchdowns i don't know how i could pick fiu and it
0: hurts me again those seniors that i mentioned guys like kevin oliver richard dames dan jackson you know it's their senior night i i I hope they're able to find some semblance of you know able to remember the good times when they made three straight bowl games and hopefully you know butch davis can and take some solace in that as well in the final time that he'll take the field at fiu stadium as head coach of the panthers but uh, (laughs) how could i pick fiu give me north texas
1: Fairly easy pick there. Uh, Thank you for sticking with us on this uh, particularly longer episode of the CUSA podcast. But hope you enjoyed the uh, discourse related to everything that's going around uh, in an ever-changing league, let's just say. Uh, We'll be back next week to uh, talk about the final week of the CUSA regular season. Uh, Crazy to think that we are already at that point in the year, and uh, we are probably not. I'm going to just say have Eric give a book report on Sophie's Choice because that would be – very weird for those of you that know what that movie's about Uh, happy football watching everybody we'll talk to you